code and it'll tell you. Okay. Hey everybody, Adele here. And today I am so excited to have as my guest, Terry Earthwood Nichols. He's an amazing speaker. He's got an amazing book coming out all around conscious business. So if you are an entrepreneur and you are looking for a different, a different way of thinking about business, a different way of doing things. Maybe you're burnt out with goals. Like the whole goal thing has you sick of, oh my God, my to-do list and the pressure. We're going to have a juicy conversation today because Tara is going to share a different way of doing this thing called business so that we can be happier, more successful, and also honor the spirit that's moving through you. Hey, Terry, good to have you on the show. Hello, my friend. I'm yes. so excited to be here. Thank you so much. And you guys know it's going to be a spirit-filled conversation with a name like Terry Earthwind. I mean, my goodness, it's going to be infused with the spirit. So let me do the official stuff first so everybody knows who you are. So Terry Earthwind Nichols is a visionary strategist for people who are looking for achievement-based versus goal-based strategies for their business. Oh my God, I'm going to be all ears on that. Terry is a chairman of Evolutionary Healer, a global transformation performance improvement company. When he's not strategizing brilliant marketing plans with entrepreneurs, Terry can be found doing intriguing interviews like this one, or planning his next vacation, or savoring a maker's mark, uh, Manhattan at his favorite restaurant. So that's that's the essence of Terry. And I love that because we really don't need to know the all the if, ands, and theirs of your background. We can actually feel into this amazing human. And because that's really what matters in the present, what's moving through you, what's moving through your business, how can Carrie's, how can Terry's message help you if you are an entrepreneur, you're sick of yourself, you're sick of doing business. And because I also feel, Terry, we were talking earlier, I think something bigger is changing out there. And so these two things come together. So Terry, just to, because people may not know you, can you give us a quick synopsis of how you came to do what you're doing now in terms of consciousness, healing, and entrepreneurship, this, this, this nexus of helping people through the eye of the needle? Well, it's, it's quite interesting, Adele, as you know, uh, I, I grew up thinking I was a fourth generation Irish American white boy. And when I was 46 years old, my brother calls me on the phone and he says, hey, bro, you know, we're Indians. And I go, Indian what? And he goes, oh, no, man, like we're Native Americans, like Chickamauga, Cherokee. Are, are you ready for that? And I go, wow. you don't make sense. Uh, what do you think about that, brother? Me talking back to him. I don't know, man. I don't, uh, you know, I like my Budweiser beer and, and NASCAR racing. I don't think I can do the Indian thing. How about you? And I said, well, your brother's a Native American starting right now. And, you know, all my life, um, I, I looked in and walked on a spiritual side of, of life, uh, enveloping the Christian religion and, and, and doing that for a number of years. I'm a commissioned Stephen minister, right? Uh, counseling and, uh, and uh, religion-based, uh, non-denominational. And uh, all of a sudden this, my coat fit, you know, my life started making sense. Some of the things that I do and I think and I see 
Uh, I sought out elders uh, in, in my Native American nation and uh, everything that, that I witnessed in one way or another all my life was starting to make sense. It was just kind of weird at first, but, uh, but I never talked to anybody about it because it was weird. I didn't mm -hmm. know, oh man, this guy's crazy. I got to stay away from him. That's not really what it was. And so uh, this, that part of me really came to the fore. And so that's a great deal about my story. You know, here I am 69 now and uh, my life changed back when I found that out, everything changed. It started making sense. Like I say, my coat started to fit. It was like things started making sense to me. Oh, that's beautiful. Because I think in our culture right now, people are really yearning to connect to their ancestry. Um, you know, and if it's this bland concoction because of our history, you know, we, we've lost track of where on the planet did you come from? What was your tradition? Because every part of the of the planet has a tradition um you know and i think sometimes people are yearning i wish i were x or it'd be great if i had a you know bloodline of y or whatever and and really everybody has something special and i think it's fabulous that you connected both psychically and also in the body you do have this expression that is undeniable and that it actually fit how you were feeling. I mean, how perfect is that? Yeah, right on. You know, uh, my whole life, straight out of high school, I had no opportunities for college, so I joined the Navy to see the world, and I did. And in the 20 years that I served the United States Navy, uh, I saw three-fifths of the world, uh, married and, and had an amazing daughter, love her to death, and uh, got, well, completed two degrees. Um, and uh, even though I was uh, ABC, uh, everything works uh, military leader, I was unconventional with most of what I did. You know, uh, my Navy recruiting teams that I would, that I would run district-wide marketing teams and things, um, we never worried about goals and numbers. We worried. Uh, we we focused on an achievement of of uh, being the best we were at any day. You know, you do yeah. the best that you can, and you be one people, one unit. If you got a problem, come see somebody. Hey man, I got this problem. What what do you think? Well, I I think this or that. I like it. I'm gonna do it. And and we were very successful in three different recruiting districts in, in across America. Uh, I took my team to number one in the nation seven times with five teams. So it works, okay? And so when I got out of the Navy, I didn't know who I was, you know? Uh, so I went the traditional route. I, I went from job to job to job, to industry to job, to industry to job, trying to find myself. I had no clue, Adele, no clue. And again, I don't do things conventionally. And most of the time that did not fit in a corporate environment. And uh, I'd either get fired or I'd quit at some point. And even though I made it to the apex uh, more than once, um, that's just the way it was. So when I, when later in life, when I found out I was Native American and, and connected with this spirituality in, in my religion and everything else, and it started making sense, I knew the best place for me to be is run my own show. So I started a couple of three companies, a couple of them failed miserably. That's okay. Great learning experience. 
And I sold one. I got tired of it. And uh, just moved on from there, went back into corporate uh, life for a while uh, with a, a global uh, private club company. And um, that was all great, but those things didn't change. They seemed to dra drag me down. So uh, 10 years ago, I met and married uh, my second wife, uh, who you've met, Adele. And um, quite by accident, we were in a conversation about coaching and, and consulting and doing those kinds of things. And uh, my wife went to a, a, a national conference uh, around that, got excited, came home, told me about it. I got excited and, and uh, we formed what is now Evolutionary Healer LLC back in May of 2012. And we've never looked back. And I might add, we don't look anything like that mom and pop operation that first six months to a year. We are nothing like that anymore. We're on our fifth or sixth website, all kinds of stuff. And I don't do any coaching anymore. Uh, if there's some coaching to be done, working with my mentees, uh, I have mentees all over the world in, in senior leadership and uh, private and public sector uh, all over the world. And I just love that, you know, and I do some coaching with them once in a while, but the key is to be a good mentor. And that has been incredible. So Profiling for Profit, this book here came out in 2019. I was telling you about it. And uh, it's, it's how to read people in lifetime by what they do with their head. The unconscious muscle movement indicates whether or not you're connecting with them. Is your message getting through? And are they being truthful about understanding what it is? You can read that stuff and they don't even know they're doing things. You know, you can teach yourself to do certain things that are body language wise, but when you do unconscious muscle movements, you don't even know you're doing them. And so uh, that, that took off to be a pretty good book, but then what happened in February, 2020, just two months later, that lockdown, COVID, book tours canceled, you know, just blah. And so it never really took off, although here it is, 2022, it's still selling, selling uh, in, in five languages, so it's not too bad. And uh, all this time, uh, while it was selling and while I was uh, in lockdown, you know, I, I, I'm up very early in the morning. That's just who I am. And I'm reading all this amazing content on LinkedIn. Great stuff. 10 things you should think about now, five things to do right away for your company, blah, 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 during this lockdown stuff. And I, answer, I simply asked myself a question. I said, you know, this is really great content, people, but what are you actually doing? What are you doing? And boom, the little light bulb went off. And I started uh, interviewing my friends and colleagues at first to give them a five-minute commercial, because I know uh, if, if you hover on a, on a Zoom on, on a newsfeed and it's five minutes or less, you're going to click it. You're going to listen for a minute. I got five minutes, right? So it took off. And when I started that in uh, April of 2020, I had about 2,200 followers on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm just starting uh, this week, April of 2022, with just short of 58,000 followers. So the it has really grown. And so while I was doing that, this came up, you know, this achievement. What, what, what can people do sitting at their desk uh, to change their lives? 
of themselves and their companies. And the consortium business model was born, which is a people-centric where, where human resources is kicked out and you talk people. And people-centric achievement-based business model where you throw out goals and everything that causes people to lie, everything that stresses you out, you take out of the equation and you work towards achievable vision uh, that's shared by every person in the company. That can be two people or it could be 200,000 people. It doesn't change because achievement is, is person-based, soul-based, that spiritual gathering. You know, uh, for those of you who are listening right now, take a second and think about the last time that you really achieved something. Wow, how did that feel? And how bad did you want to repeat that? Particularly if you were working with a bunch of people who shared that achievement. Now, take that completely company-wide, you can't wait to get to work every day because you want to be in that energy, that success. Yeah, and it's it's very inspiring. If you could boil it into a nutshell of what is the problem this consortium model solves? Because, my gosh, business has tons of problems and we're all you know dealing with ourselves. But if you could say, you know, this is the problem that I see happening. Um, I think you've already touched on it, you know, instead of a goals approach, more of an achievement model. And could you say more how that's different for people who are going, well, I think I sort of understand, you know, I've had some achievement, I'd love it again, but say more on the problem that you're focused like a laser with this uh, consortium approach to business, because it's so focused and people are sort of trying to rash their brain around how that, what that means, say more to that. Well, people as a whole, and I talk to a lot of people every day, and um, they're fed up with the current business model. What Say I call more about that. What are model. the problems you're seeing? They don't, you know, this this thumbnail, that thumb pushing approach to your boss really doesn't know how to lead you. Uh, all he knows how to do is what his boss or her boss does, and and pushes on you and pushes you. They're bad leaders. They don't. They don't take time to be part of the success or part of the equation. They just keep throwing stuff at you. You're not appreciated. This is a very bad place to work, Uh, but you continue to work. You're almost making yourself a slave because uh, you don't think you can leave. Now COVID all of a sudden allowed you to leave and you don't want to go back to that. You do not want to get back into uh, do it because I said, not do it because I think we have the best idea. Okay? Yes, I think you're referring to the great resignation, this pause that business was forced to examine itself. And from yes. the, this wisdom that's banging around in there, you're, you're coming up with what was, what, what was wrong all along and that people just sort of tolerate it because that's how it's always been. Exactly. They were afraid to leave. And, and if they did leave, where were they going? Another place that does the same thing, uh, which is not true now, okay? So big business, and I posted and, and spoke on this uh, a few times already, and that is uh, big business wants to get people back into the offices, but they want to do it the old way. And the millennials and everybody out there that's been enjoying this freedom, working remote or whatever, are going, eh, eh not a chance, big boy. I'm not going back to that crap you have me in. You want me to work? I'll be out here remotely. I'm not going in the office. 
And if they say, you're going in the office, period, and said, bye. The great resignation is full effect. Now let's switch that a little bit. If the office and the leadership, starting at the very apex, if the leadership has a vision they believe in and they throw away all of the, they have stakeholders, their shareholders all believe in this vision for the future that's not tied into timelines and goals, but achievement of the vision. And now every person in the company, I love using the banks as, as examples, because even the person, that kid in the window, the drive uh, window, do you make your deposits and stuff with, do your bank drops, uh, she, he has as much power as the, the chief marketing officer to come up with a new idea that can generate a new stream of revenue or uh, make something more cost effective, saving a lot of money. They both have an equal share in the achievement of the company and heading towards this vision. Now take that one step farther. The leadership above that kid in the window likes what they just created. And the chairman of the board of this international corporation walks into the front door of that bank and says, hi, I'm here to see Adele. And hi, Adele, we're so proud of you. You really came up with a great idea here. It's so good. We're taking it company wide, which your little cost savings of $20,000 here at the, of the branch a year, now is a cost savings of $40 million a year across the company. And guess what? We're going to give you a piece of that first year right now in a form of a check that I'm delivering to you personally. Now that kid whose parents are about to lose her house, she can pay it off because she just got a check for $50,000. Right? right. It reminds me of some of the um, work that came out of the quality improvement uh, movement of you know soliciting uh, suggestions from the rank and file on, on improving. And um, yeah, it's yeah. very inspiring that maybe we focus more on achievement. So an achievement, like what would be an achievement goal versus, well, I don't want to use the word goal because that implies the old way, but can you give an example of an achievement thing in a bank versus a goal yeah. thing in a bank for the audience who might not be familiar with the difference? Right. Okay. So the bank branch where the kid works has a vision for themselves. And that vision can be uh, become the leading bank in their community. There's no timeline. There's no dollars involved in that. The leading bank in their community. The place where people look up to the people who work there because it is so fantastic. Their customer service is, is beyond reproach. The, the whole thing of what they're doing is amazing. And the consortium model is based on collaboration. So Bank of America, where this kid works at one side of the street and Wells Fargo across the street are no longer competitors. They're collaborators in, collaborators in making this city, this community a safe and better place. Now let's say uh, another COVID kind of thing hits and all of, everybody's working forward, they're doing great. Got to close the bank branches again. 
But this time, how about we just lock the front door? Make everybody safe inside, okay? And let's sit down and let's say, okay, this bank monetarily hasn't been doing so good. It could get closed. So what do we do, team, to change that together? Do we change this to a mortgage servicing center so that everybody keeps their job, they get new training, and the corporation keeps that branch until maybe it becomes a branch again, or they keep it as a mortgage servicing area because people are in trouble. So this way you have available people who can help people and they don't, the people don't have to come into the branch. They can talk to them on the phone or, or whatever to help them. And then the training is online. So all of that can happen. So now this bank branch, who was going to be closed permanently, is all of a sudden a mortgage servicing center and they're helping the community survive. Now, what does the community think about that branch and those fine people? Amazing. And what does that do to your self-esteem and your desire to do more in your community and what you do in your job? You can't wait to get to work in the morning. It's that powerful. Collaboration versus co competition. Competition's the old model. Mess yeah. over the guys across the street so that you look better and all their customers will come to you. Not necessarily true anymore. Let's get all the customers back into banks because a lot of them don't even trust banks anymore. They're starting to take money out and they're not going, it's disappearing in the cash flow in, in America right now. You know, people are putting cash under their mattresses again, like it did back in, in the 30s and 40s. That's real, ladies and gentlemen, okay? So now that type of thing, the community is stronger. All the people there are happier. They're well, more supported. There are more services to support everybody there. Everybody grows. I love the idea of collaboration. It is also traditionally has not been the American way as much. You know, our country was founded on much more on individualism, uber self-reliance, independence, and a competitive model. That's just up to now. That's kind of how things work. Survival of the fittest. And if you don't make it, oh, well, you know. And what is it that people need to start you know, it, the, people hear about collaboration, but they don't know how it feels. They don't know how it means. Like until they see it, I think there's a certain, well, we don't know. Like, what can you share with the audience that would help them know that this is possible and maybe step into the possibilities of a collaborative model? Because most of business to, up to now has been more of a dog eat dog type of model. Because that's a big right. brain shift. Right. One good way is uh, study uh, Sir Richard Branson and Virgin Group. Take care of your people, they'll take care of your customers. That's the way it's always been from day one, his first company. Take absolute care when uh, his reputation is when he goes and, and meets with employees uh, of Virgin uh, in different places, he sits right there in the middle on the in, in the group and say, okay, guys, what's happening? How can I help you? Not, what are you doing? How are you liking it? None of that stuff. That's the old model. That's people wanting more stuff to go make money. He wants to know how you're doing. 
what can I do or what can I provide for you that's going to make you happier and take care, better care of my customers? And as a result, we all get more customers. We all make better living. All of that happens. That's collaborative leadership. Back in the 1970s, uh, leadership by walking, walking around was huge. It's time to do that again. Leaders, corporate leaders, start walking around. And you can do that right here on, on Zoom or various deals, just not by having plastic meetings, because that's really the majority of Zoom meetings in some of the, and most of these companies, what I'm hearing are plastic meetings. That means, you know, there's no real connection with the people, you know, so stop having real connection with the people. Have the, the, the chairman of the board hop on an open Zoom call on a regular basis where anybody can ask any question without fear of any repercussion. You know, the, this, is, this is about people, being people-centric. Because all of us want to love and be loved, okay? And if we are receiving love, it's very easy for us to give love. And that giving of love can be anything from an interpersonal relationship to loving the people you work with and loving your company, right? Because all of you share a vision of where you're going down the road, not various markers that that you have to jump over well what happens if, if you're not feeling well that day well you don't get to jump over the marker oh, are you gonna get fired if you have a achievement-based vision system the vision works like out on the horizon is this vision and there's a road all the way to the vision well let's say you're going to grandmother's house the vision is getting to grandmother's house you know that between now and the time you get there People have to stop and go to the restroom. People got to stop and eat. People got to stop, get gas. People have to stop because of a construction. All of those kinds of things don't bother you because you assume that they're going to happen. You just don't have a timeline for them and you don't care because ultimately you're going to be at grandma's house. So the motivation of each of the stops is like, uh, the kids don't get out and, and run around the, the convenience store part and buying candy and doing all that kind of stuff as much as they're, they go to the restroom, get their stuff. Can I have an apple or something? Get back in the car. And everybody's excited to get going. So what happens? You hit a, a bad rainstorm where you have to pull over or uh, construction where you have to stop for a long time or heaven forbid a traffic accident where you have to sit for a while. So Mom and dad, the leaders of the car, don't sit there and fumigate about what, how this could happen to them and all of the different scenarios that could happen. All right, kids, let's count license plates. How many states do you see? Let's start doing fun stuff in the car that's crazy that we can have some fun with. You want to call grandma? Let's get the phone out. You know, uh, let's start uh, singing kids songs. Whatever it is to engage your people will make them feel better. And if they're feeling better, you feel better. Okay. Oh, so I'm you just take away that stress. The, taking away the stress, taking away the pressure of, oh my God, what if this happens? What if that happens? And just assuming something will and preparing and everybody knows when there's a traffic jam. Well, you know, it happened after 30 minutes instead of, you know, 45. And then we expected this and let's enjoy ourselves. 
And, you know, listening into what you're talking about, I'm reminded of some of the other things I've read around, like the, this new wave of doing business, although there are many different flavors of it. Um, a conscious business assumes that one of the reasons that a business even exists is for the people who work there. I mean, in prior older business models, it's the business exists for the shareholders. And if when you read the mission statements that's on the wall, there's no mention of the people who actually work in the business. It's for the shareholders. But so this idea that one of the reasons that we even exist is for our own benefit, or the community, our own families, that's like revolutionary because it's not the only stakeholder, but to even have that on the roadmap as one important part of making decisions, especially when you're beholden to Wall Street and all that other stuff, I think adds a little bit more humanity instead of just how much blood can we squeeze out of a turnip with the people that you're working for. So, and then to actually have work being more enjoyable, what a concept that would be. You know, I, I think it'd be a blast to work for Richard Branson and just, you know, but and, and he has this, it's not like he's trying to be, that's just the way he is. He's always that way in all of his interviews. So it, it's occurred to me that this quality of leadership you're talking about, it seems more soul driven. I mean, it's not like you go to a retreat somewhere and you learn better communication skills. I mean, that'll help, but we're already doing that. You know, corporate America spends millions of dollars on corporate trainings to try to get better listening skills into people. And it's better than nothing. But can you speak more on what I feel? I think it's a deeper level of personal development that needs to happen. Truly, you know, the earth, wind, healer thing, it, it has nothing to do with business per se. But if you do that, your business will go better. I'm not making sense. That's how I see the connections of your work on a human level with what's going on in commerce. I think you hit right on the, the button on a human level, okay? Because people um, think it's all about, I don't know, reflective listening or smiling or courtesies, which are nice. But if that's all you got, I think people can see right through that, don't you think? And I think that's made employees very cynical. Like, oh my God, my boss came back from a reflective listening class <laughs> and she's repeating everything I say and it's just annoying as dirt. Speak more on why- Exactly, that yeah. is the huge part right there. Trillions of dollars are spent every year training employees for nothing. They go out, they get this amazing training, they get back to the office, they come in and see their boss. Oh my God, I can't wait to tell you everything that's happening, blah, 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 blah. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I have 50 things for you to do by lunch. Uh, let's talk about this tomorrow. Okay, so they go do the 50 things uh, for lunch. They're a little bit settled. They're, they're not real happy about that, but they're happy. So they're going to tell their friends while, and coworkers while they're doing it. So they get in there and they go to work. And tomorrow they walk into the office. Hey, I got 50 things for you to do. I'm glad you had a good time. Um, yeah, the uh, energy you know, starts. Now it's time to go back to work. Now, everything that they learned, those great books they brought, all of that stuff goes into the, the dust basket and is forgotten. Yes. And a great employee with an amazing new system that could really do well there never gets started. Yeah, That's the old model. Now change that scenario. Yeah. yeah, now change that scenario to, 
Adele, did you have a great time last week? Wow. Give me the highlights of what you learned. I want us to meet uh, for 15 minutes for the next two weeks every morning because I want to know everything that you did and and how you think that this will uh, help us and our vision and and make things better here. I'm just so glad you had a good time. And wouldn't you What's say the difference in that scenario, ladies and gentlemen? Quite different. And it demands a different level of maturity from the boss. Instead of just, oh, this is lovely human development. I mean, you would, the, the, the person, it, it starts at the top, you know, and I feel like a lot of the development work is just assuming, let's placate the workers with stress management programs so that they are happier. And so I can still get more out of them instead of inviting these leaders to really take a look at what is it that you're doing to people on, on a human level. And that takes a type of person who's willing to go there. And right now, not everybody is. And yeah, yeah. I'm sure you've seen this in your work with well, people who have uh, to really confront me, myself and I. Yeah. Yeah. All too often the person who gets promoted into a job, now they get out of their shop uniform and put a coat and a suit, coat and a tie on. They have no concept of what they're doing there. They have the skills that got them there. They can go out on the floor and fix anything, but it's not their job anymore. They don't know how to lead people. That yeah. The company doesn't want to send them to some place that will uh, teach them to be better. Now they're afraid of their job. Imposter syndrome starts putting in there. That's a big deal. In fact, I'm, I'm doing a, a live with a colleague about imposter syndrome here in the near future. And uh, now this person... And business as a whole, ladies and gentlemen, listen in. Business as a whole is, I'm not going to teach you because you're going to get better than I am. And I'm going to get fired. You're going to take my job. Take my job mentality is killing America. Okay. Take my job mentality is killing America. And it always has. So the best of the best don't stay at the company. Okay. How would a consortium approach address this problem? When it's time to promote Bob into the new supervisor's position, it's because Bob's supervisor that he's replacing is is moving on to someplace else. And Bob's supervisor, Barbara, has been bringing him along and start working with him about philosophies and what works. And, you know, when, when it's time for him to step up, it's a natural movement into there as opposed to being thrown into a job where you're not sure what to do. You're not I even sure where to go get the coffee. Now, yeah. con- in a consortium thing, everybody's in it together. Everybody is cross-trained. Everybody does everything together. And it's collaboration leadership. So when Bob walks into the office and takes over the whole show out there on the on the the work floor he's just in a different place in 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 the building he's not up someplace that he has no clue what to do or she it can be either way and he's still a collaborative participant in the success of the vision of the company so other people out there on the floor might be some of them wish that was them that got the promotion but the majority of them, including those that might not be so happy, know that he was a good hire. That was a good idea. And because he supports them 100 percent, 
they support him. So they, yeah. you take away that cut away, cut at my knees to make me a bad leader so you can have my job kind of stuff. That don't work anymore. Absolutely. Right? How do you address, you know, I have many clients that work in a, um, you know, you have your direct boss. And then you're, you're, you're sort of indirectly working with a lot of, what is that word called? Di- indirect reporting relationships, matrix. Right. And the report that's coming back is that these matrix relationships can be very stressful because mm-hmm. it is collaborative, but it's always a little vague. Who is making decisions? So everybody's always a little bit on edge. And so that might be the flip side of collaboration that we don't have the skill yet. We have the model, we want collaboration, we want a matrix style reporting relationship. But if you've got people in there, it, it, it can be very stressful at review time because it's, it's vague. What, is there anything you can offer the audience when they're in these indirect influenced type of roles when the company's trying to be a matrix and you got poor people stressed over it? Number one, they're, they're trying to use the matrix model with the old business model that is competition. Uh, It's very uh, vague about how it's put together. The matrix of key players don't meet together regularly to monitor and support each other so that right hand knows not only what the left hand's doing, but what can the right hand do to make the left hand do it easier, more efficiently, keeping everybody else happy. That collaboration is everybody's in this together rather than uh, I've got to keep Adele happy over there at XYZ desk so that she makes me look better and I get my full bonus. That's the old matrix. The new matrix is, Adele, what can I do to help you this week? You look a little down. Can I help you? You want to go take a walk? It's, It's about shutting out the ABC, the linear thought, and allowing abstract thought to come in there. I, I, Adele, I care for you. Can I help you? And mean it. And mean yeah. It. And, and so we all know that the ultimate incentive for people to do these is the money. So yeah. it, it, seems, it, it, it seems like it makes sense for a consortium collaborative model to work. The entire comp structure has to change. We cannot rely on people's altruism and, and, and good heartedness to do one thing, but pay people 100% commission over there. And, you know, and these two are not compatible. So mm-hmm. how would a consortium, I imagine it's a bonus for everybody rather than individual performance, you know, your bonus is this and your bonus is that. But you know, I think this is the stumbling block that a lot of companies are up against. They feel like, well, if there's not enough, if, there, if the comp structure doesn't incent people to make more money for the company. I'm thinking of salespeople, right? Mm-hmm. And so salespeople are out there doing deals that nobody can fulfill, totally slamming the engineering or the delivery people because they got to land this deal. But it looks good on the revenue numbers. So a collaborative model would have a lot of these people who are driven by commission schedules. They, 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 they earn their living this way. Um, mm-hmm. How would you sell that? Because they will take a pay cut. They will, because some of that money now has to move over to the people in the back office that are making these deals happen. How have you been able to sell this collaboration? Because I've seen this over and over. Companies want to move 
in a collaborative model, but they're afraid of losing their top salespeople because they've got to hit the number on for Wall Street or something. Right. Uh, get your stakeholders to believe in you for a couple of years mm. and the shareholders to believe in this vision. Okay. When a commission-only person uh, buys into the vision itself, they are in it for themselves and everybody else. Okay, you start with yourself. That's not being selfish. That's that's where everything begins. Okay, you start with self. I have certain achievement levels that I want to attain on this road to our vision, and that's what I focus on: getting those achievements and helping anybody I can to get those their achievements, so that we achieve together. And we achieve together, then our our commission base goes up all those kinds of things. Uh, a lot of them uh, with the mentality of uh, commission is everything. It's all about the sale. Company has to come up with a way. Or to I want to win. I want, what's with it? A VIP or top 1% gets to go to Puerto Vallarta, all expense paid. Like that's how a lot of these organizations run for their top people. You get a free expense paid trip. So all year long, these people are very motivated and driven by this wonderful vacation they will have with their families. Can't blame them. And yet, sure. you know, yeah. It's a different way of life, ladies and gentlemen. It's a different yeah, way of life. It it's is. Once, once, here's the thing, Adele. Once that, that connection, that collaboration of mutual achievement, we're all in this together. We all have that vision. We are all moving forward with that vision then that 100% uh, commission person who's about ready to make a multi-million dollar sale tells the pr prospective customer, I'd love to sell you this much. We, we can't deliver this much, but we can do this. I can give you this much now, three months I can give you this much, and then six months I can give you that much. Higher quality delivered on time with lower cost. Does he get the sale? You bet, but it's a different way. It's not uh, cutting cutting the throats of the people in manufacturing to despite. So he gets his $30,000 bonus. Exactly. Okay. Because they're driven by completely different goals. There's a quota and all that stuff and reaching their quarterly bonus. And right. And yeah. it's setting up a relationship. The best salespeople have relationships with their customers. They know that, that they'll do anything for them because their customers know that when they need the widget, I'm the widget king. They will buy from me. You know, it will come. I can be at Puerto Vallarta on vacation and a widget sale that will give me a $10,000 bonus comes in and I'm no longer, I'm nowhere around, right? Because yeah. I have relationships. I am in this with you for the achievement of XYZ company's goals, my, my customer. And from that relationship and trust in me, my company is going to get better too. So now we're collaborating on so, the future of our businesses. So I feel like most execs have this awareness. The what is fairly, I want the company to be more collaborative. I don't want people to be driven by their weekly quota, but the implementation, like where do you see the biggest roadblock? Because everybody wants this. I don't know anybody who doesn't. But where do you see the problem? Where is the bottleneck that keeps companies from being able to revamp the comp, 
win over the board, get the salespeople to relax a little bit and make everyone feel part of the vision. Like what, if, if someone was listening to this and feels like, oh God, that's like, that's a total dream. That's a pipe dream. Where would you say the number one place they would have to start to make all this start trickling down to a reality? Where's the biggest place that gets stuck? Number one. The top guy. Top person. Mm-hmm. We have a shared vision, XYZ company, and I'm going to do everything I can for us to achieve that vision. And, you know, um, whatever I can do to support you, I will. I am going to be doing regular uh, Zoom recordings and live Zooms with, with groups of you all over the company. Every week, you get to talk to me untethered, no bosses around, you know? What's going on there? What can, what can I do to help you um, achieve that vision you have created for yourself? Because XYZ branch in Atlanta, North Atlanta, how can I help you achieve your vision for success, which will ultimately help ABC Corporation in New York achieve the greater vision of the company? How and can I, right I now, help you, not you help me? Yeah, and I think that's going to be a mindset shift for a lot of people because for a lot, a lot of, people of people are like, who cares about my vision? This is a job. What do you want me to do? You know, yeah. this idea that I, my vision might be of value to the company is very backwards because most people are saying, all right, you hired me. What do you want me to do? You know, there's a sense of, you know, and um, so I'm excited Folks, I feel like we could keep talking. There's so much. I don't want to take up all your time because this is fantastic. Where can people hear more about your work, get your book, tell the world about this lovely book, that consortium. I can see it in your background. Well, Amazon.com has the book. Uh, I, I recommend, I have eight books now. I recommend Terry Earthwind Nichols' uh, author page at Amazon. You, know, you get all my books uh, but just as important, you, you made a great statement I'd like to address real quick. And that is, if you're a new person coming into a company that's excited and collaborative and everybody can't wait to get to work every day, how are you going to feel? You are going to be excited. You can't work, wait to get to work every day because the energy just drives you. Now, here's the side effect corporations that we haven't talked about yet. People who achieve regularly are more healthful. They get better sleep. They eat better. They're healthier. Employee-related costs go down massively. People who are achieving regularly, overachievers are single persons that, that just work too hard. Group achievers... They don't burn out and and Mr. and Mrs. Company Head, they don't leave the company. They're not leaving that group of amazing people and this amazing company to work at because I can't wait to get to work every day. And if you throw in a four-day work week where half of the company is working Monday through Thursday and half of the company is Tuesday through Friday, now you have this Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, massive explosion every week in the middle of the production week where Monday and Friday used to be that uh, come into work or Friday can't wait to go fishing. <laughs> you know, right. that's all gone. They're all in it to, to be part of this achievement. It's no longer mm-hmm. winning. 
It's about I, achieving. I think it's the human spirit that wants to achieve and not just yeah. produce, you know, widgets day in, day out and do the same thing. We all need something to move forward. And um, yeah, the idea that this can be happening in a business setting, it, there are a lot of people who don't believe this is possible. And sometimes sure. people say, I have to go do my own thing because I'm so sick of corporate politics. Um, you know, the word politics gets a very bad rap, but the reality is anytime you're working with more than me, myself, and I, you will have. So the stronger, the more healing work you've done, the more you can sit and be creative with someone else who might have a different point of view or not agree. And it's not the end of the world. It's not like your world blows up and you can't have sleep and you're just, you know, beside yourself. Right. We can be happier humanoids working for a living instead of just surviving till retirement. So everybody, this is fantastic. Oh my God, I think we're gonna have part B or part part two of this conversation around consciousness in business because I, I, I'm very interested in more in-depth real life examples of you know the comp structure being redone or managers dealing with complaints from employees without feeling defensive or people competing for up the chain. There's only one job up and five people up for it and everybody's... You know, I mean, these are very real life situations that nobody wants to discuss, but in our, unless capitalism can be revamped somehow, which I think some changes are coming. These are just things that we need to support people on instead of ignoring them. So they don't feel bad for feeling bad, you know, and know that uh, a collaborative approach, no matter where you are, could be useful. Not that it gets rid of all of it, but it doesn't have to just kill your soul anymore. If you didn't right get on. a promotion. You know, if your commission structure is a little bit different or your boss disagrees, even though you went in and shared great ideas, you know, and they said, no, doesn't mean you have to resign, you know, stick around. There might be some more. These are the, the longevity things that I think people want. So everybody go to Terry's website, check out his book. Terry has been such a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much for being so gracious with your time. And I look forward to our next conversation. I do too. Really great being here, Adele. Thank you so much for inviting me over.